0: Good morning, and welcome to Linwood Evangelical Free Church. Just and true are all his ways. In a week like this, uh, we need to be reminded of that. That's a good thing for us to be reminded of. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be talking about verses uh, 17 to 20 today. And if you are so moved to take notes, the back of your bulletin is blank, so you can take notes back there. So, today we're going to be continuing and uh, finishing up chapter 2, and Paul's going to be explaining to us one more obstacle, but kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever spent uh, a considerable amount of time away from a loved one in your life at any point? For some for some people, you know, especially young lovebirds, maybe that's five minutes. Um, for, for some people, maybe it's, it's a lot longer, uh, you know, for people who serve in the military, for example, um, I'm not exactly sure how they do that, you know, where, where they, they get called to a duty overseas, and so they, they go, and they're, they're spending enormous amounts of time, months, if, if not more than a year, or years, uh, away from their loved ones, and you see these really dramatic pictures of people who are saying goodbye to each other, knowing um, that it's going to be a long time before they see each other again, or Maybe they, they won't see each other again. Uh, that, that's just got to be unbelievably difficult to, to leave your family for, and, and your loved ones for such, uh, for such a long time. Now, I've personally never served in the military, so I, I'm, I'm not sure that I can completely relate to what it's like to be away from somebody for that long. But on a much smaller scale, I, I did spend a, a pretty considerable amount of time, for, for me anyway, uh, away from my family at one point. Um, after my first year uh, away at seminary in 2005, I felt a really clear calling to go to the country of Moldova in Eastern Europe, uh, a former Soviet state, and um, so I, I signed up to go for five weeks, and going into it, I thought, yeah, five weeks isn't that much, I'll be able to make it. Well, I, after a couple days, I was really, really missing my, my family. Um, you know, there wasn't a second in the day over there that we weren't doing something. We were constantly staying busy. But nevertheless, I was constantly missing my, uh, my wife and my kids. And we, uh, we got sent to this village where electricity was kind of a new thing. Uh, they're, they're, they, they had electricity, but there were only a couple houses in the whole village that had phones. Uh, finding a payphone, much less, you know, internet or, you know, something like that, you just weren't going to find it out there. And it wasn't until two and a half or three weeks into my mission uh, that, we were, that we went into a, a big town where we could take showers. Man, that, that was great. But uh, <laughs> even better, even better than taking a shower after, after just bathing by pouring water over yourself for two weeks, um, even better than, than the shower was the opportunity to call home. Uh, we're in this big city, and uh, yeah, we found payphones. And so I, uh, I made the most of it, and I, I called home, and I, I, I wasn't expecting what happened next. Um, when, as soon as Christina picked up the phone and said hello, I, I burst into tears. Just, I just didn't see it coming at all, uh, that I would be so emotionally overwhelmed. But see, the thing is, when you're away from somebody that you love, it's, it's really, really difficult. And uh, at that moment, I realized that it, was, it had been a lot more difficult on me than... Um, than I had realized. Being far away from somebody that you love is a difficult thing to do. And there are two things that happen, either out of sight, out of mind, or absence makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, For for me, absence made the heart grow fonder, but that's not always the case, unfortunately. Uh, We're gonna see that it's not the case for Paul either. Uh, For him, absence made the heart grow fonder. Um, Just to, to give us a quick review of what we've learned in this book so far, we know that Paul and his team of missionaries had been forced out of the city of Thessalonica uh, prematurely, very, very soon. He didn't get to spend a lot of time there. We know that he spent somewhere between three weeks and three months there. That's not a lot of time. Uh, if, if we consider the, the enormous impact that he had on them, it's kind of amazing so to look at it and say, wow, he was able to be that effective, to make that big of an impact in that little amount of time. Now people, a lot of people, theologians, tend to look at Paul as this cold and calculating guy. You know, He knew his philosophy. Uh, obviously he knew his scriptures backwards and forwards. And so the, the picture that you get of somebody like that is of somebody who has all, these, all this intellect but, but not a heart for people. Uh, but the fact is, that Paul had a heart for people, as, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And when we understand the implications of the gospel and what the work of Christ has accomplished and continues to accomplish, we need to see that the connection that we have as a spiritual family is as strong, and sometimes, depending on, on the person, uh, is as strong or maybe even stronger than a physical family. Uh, there was a time... When Jesus was busy teaching people, and his mother and brothers came to look for him, and so the people tell him, hey, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And what was his response? In Mark chapter 3, verses 33 and 34, we read, Answering them, he, Jesus, said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers. So the connection that followers of Jesus should feel with one another should be incredibly strong. Now, Paul started off this chapter, chapter 2, by discussing some of the keys to his impact in the city of Thessalonica, and we talked about that in verses 1 through 12. From there, he revealed a couple obstacles that he faced and that the people in Thessalonica faced. As, uh, as the gospel was presented to them, and just to give us a quick review of what that is, the two uh, main obstacles are, number one, for whatever reason, a person dismisses the word of God and mistakes it for the word of man, and number two, the fact that people are resistant to change. People just don't like change. That's what we talked about last week. Now, when, people, uh, now when Paul wrote this letter, uh, he, he was already in the city of Corinth, So physically speaking, he was a long ways away from them. He he was far away from the Thessalonians. But emotionally, he was there with them. And so what he's feeling in this passage is the heartache of separation from loved ones. So we read uh, as we continue in verses uh, 17 and 18, But since we, that is, he's talking about his team of missionaries who got uh, driven out of Thessalonica. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now again, we should note that Paul is referring to them as brothers, He's referring to them as brothers. Remember back in verse 8, he said that I loved you like a mother. In verse 11, he said I loved you like a father. And now he's talking about the brotherly love that he has for the Thessalonian Christ followers. These weren't just people who were a ministry for him. They weren't just a project for him. These are people that he loved. And he didn't just love them, he liked them. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, you know, can if you, if you love somebody, of course you like them. No, you don't uh loving and liking are not the same thing if you look at some relationships where a, a child maybe uh goes astray and gets into all kinds of trouble and uh you know really turns away from his parents the parents may uh will still love the child but they may not like him if that makes sense based on the decisions that he's made based on the the course of action that he's chosen for his life to take but paul is telling us uh, that, that he loved these people, and, and he it's, it's clear that he loved them and liked them. Now here's where we see the cause of Paul's hurt. He says the cause of his hurt is that they were torn away from the Christians in Thessalonica. Torn away. Now that's actually some, some really strong language. When I, when I think of being torn away from somebody, I, I think of kidnapping. I think of my child uh, being torn away from me so that I am no longer able to get to them. And I, I think, you know, the, a great way to illustrate this is a story that I read this past week, an article I read about uh, a father whose son was, was murdered by this man about uh, 25 years ago, 20, 25 years ago. And while his murderer uh, was in prison, he accepted a plea deal uh, he, he, he uh, pled guilty to second-degree murder instead of going through the trial and trying him for first-degree murder. The father accepted a plea deal for second-degree murder and with the possibility of parole. Well, the possibility of parole has come up, and so they were interviewing this father. Now, while the murderer was in prison, he, he journaled what he did to this man's son. Uh, he ate him. Um, and it's a horrible story, but... But here's the thing, the, the, the father hasn't had any comfort since he came across this journal. We don't exactly know how he got his hands on the journal, but somehow he got his hands on, on this guy's journal and found out what this guy had done to his son. And he said, the father says, I do intend, if this man is released anywhere in my vicinity... Or if I can find him after the fact, I do intend to kill this man. I cannot think. I cannot sleep. All I think about is trying to find a way to get to this man to kill him. See, the the Greek word for torn away is derived from the word for comfortless. And here's a picture of a guy who is comfortless. For years, he's been consumed with this thought of getting back at his son's murderer. That's comfortless, torn away. His son was torn away from him. And Paul says that because he and his team of missionaries had been torn away from the church in Thessalonica, they tried even harder and were even more eager to go and see them face to face. Now remember that that Paul has already revealed for us uh, what's, what's been going on? The, the source of their separation, the reason for their separation is because the Jews had driven him out and they were, uh, the, the, the Jews were persecuting the church in Thessalonica. These were the same people who were persecuting uh, Paul and his team of missionaries and this was the same group of people who persecuted and killed the Lord Jesus. They thought that they were serving God by doing so. The, the Jews thought that they were being obedient to God. And Paul knew that that's what they thought because he had been in their shoes. He he had persecuted Christians before Jesus turned his life around. And while these people thought that they were serving God, the same way that Paul had once thought that he was serving God, Paul reveals to us here that ultimately, ultimately, they were actually acting on behalf of Satan. And so for that reason, Paul doesn't blame the Jews for the fact that that he can't return to Thessalonica, he blames Satan himself. Now, a way that I would illustrate this is, you know, if, if somebody is opposed to the United States military action in some country overseas, uh, they don't get upset, they don't blame the soldiers who have been sent over there. No, they, they would blame uh, you know, the Senate, the Congress, maybe the President, whoever is responsible for sending them over there and acting in a way that you know, the person disagrees with That's who they would blame. And so the same thing here. He's not blaming the Jews. He's blaming Satan because Satan's army is acting on his behalf to keep them separated. And the principle here is is pretty simple. If, If you haven't already realized it, we all have an enemy who absolutely hates our guts. We all have an enemy who hates our guts and who will go to great lengths to prevent us from impacting others for the gospel. And Peter knew that that was true too. He wrote to the, uh, to the persecuted church, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That's from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. So Peter knew... Satan's tactics. He knew his schemes. But what we're getting here is an image of of Satan's uh, of Satan being like a ferocious beast stalking his prey. But his metaphor is dealing with Satan's actions, his his M.O., the way that he carries out his business. It doesn't deal with his appearance. Sometimes it's really obvious when Satan acts. Sometimes it's not. As Paul warned the church in Corinth about false teachers, that that was one of the main themes in the the first and second books of Corinthians, he told them to be on guard because while these false teachers who were coming in appeared to be servants of Christ, they weren't. So he says, no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, whether it's through intimidation or fear or persecution or whatever, maybe infiltrating our ranks by means of deception, Satan wants to throw obstacles in our way as we try to impact the people around us. Now, a couple things to note about this. First of all, the book of Job reveals that God is the sovereign one. God is the one in control. And there's nothing that Satan can do that God doesn't allow him to. To do. That doesn't mean that we'll understand why God is allowing Satan to do something. But when the world around us is falling apart, maybe when our marriages are falling apart, maybe when our kids are going down a path that we don't understand, we've got to understand that God has allowed this. We don't understand it necessarily. All He asks us to do is trust Him. And that's why we can trust that all things work to the good of those who love him. So we can know that even when bad things happen to us, God is sovereign. God is in control. Whether it's a tsunami, or whether it's a divorce, whatever it might be, God is in control. There's nothing that Satan can do that God doesn't allow him to do. The second thing is that we have to be careful not to give Satan an opportunity to prevent us from impacting others because he's always looking for an opportunity to throw an obstacle in our way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, Paul wrote, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. See, if you don't trust that God can and will work all things for the good in your life, for your ultimate good, even in hard times, your anger can cause you to sin. Uh, It's not... A sin to feel anger, by the way. It's not a sin to feel anger. It becomes a sin when you act or fail to act because of your anger. No matter what type of relationship it is, if there's an issue between two people where there's anger involved, if it gets left unresolved, it festers. It just grows. It doesn't go away. It might feel like it goes away, but really you've just stored it inside of yourself and it'll come up again. It's like an infection. What do you do with an infection? If you know that you have an infection, do you just wait for it to go away by itself? No, you you treat it as fast as you can. You get it out of there as fast as you can. And Paul's saying that when you fail to do that, you give the enemy a foot in the door. You give him an opportunity to prevent you from making an impact. Now, it's kind of interesting when you look at what most Americans believe about Satan. And this is one of those things that kind of blows my mind, because I don't, I don't understand how somebody can get to this position if they've read the Bible or even sat through a church service where Satan was talked about at all. But get this, according to Barna Research Group, 35% of American adults strongly believe that the devil is just a symbol of evil. He's not actually an enemy. It's more of a concept and not a person, 35%. Another 25% agree with that somewhat, that that he's just a symbol of evil. Now, that's a total of 60% of American adults. Among evangelical Christians, 47% agree that Satan is just a symbol of evil, that he's not real. So for those who don't believe that Satan is real, that 's basically half. basically half of the church doesn 't believe that Satan is real. If, if, and, and so for those people who don 't believe that he 's real, of course they 're not on guard against him. Of course they 're not looking out for his schemes, of course they 're not trying to protect themselves from him, just like I, just like you know if I thought that there was a, a two-headed snake at my feet i 'd be on guard against it i 'd be out of here. you guys would be on your own. <laughs> Yeah, of course, if if you don't believe that something's there, you're not guarding against it. So the application, again, it's, it's simple. Know that Satan is real. Be on the lookout for him. And don't give him a window of opportunity to prevent you from making an impact in the lives of your friends, co-workers, and family for the gospel. Take a look at your life right now. And the people that you know, the people that you regularly come into contact with who don't know Jesus, and ask yourself, what is hindering me from making an impact in their lives? What is getting in my way of impacting those people with the gospel? The fact is that whatever that situation might be, whatever the hindrance might be, ultimately, the enemy... Satan is behind it. What we need to remember is that while while we're confronting Satan's kingdom of darkness on earth, it won't last forever. It won't last forever. The frustrations, the disappointments, the, the anxiety that we might feel when we're working against the kingdom of darkness are only temporary. If you'd like to make a donation to Bible Study to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, Bible Study Podcasts.org.